Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Friday, April the 12th, 2002. On the west side of Akron, 10-year-old Jasmine Barty burst from her house on Wildwood Avenue and ran to her grandma's home just two doors away. Something was terribly wrong. She'd come home from school to find the house eerily quiet. No one waiting to greet her. No dinner in progress. Jasmine called out as she made her way to her mother's bedroom. 32-year-old Jeanette Barty was still in bed, still wearing the white t-shirt she'd slept in. She didn't respond to her daughter's call. Jasmine moved in closer. It looked as if her mother's head was covered in vomit. Jasmine explained this to her grandma, a woman known to everyone as Big Angel. Can you come and see? Jasmine asked her. Big Angel followed her out the door, saying, That's why she wasn't answering my phone calls. She must be sick. Big Angel entered Jeanette's bedroom and shook her daughter's covered form, asking what was wrong. Her body moved like jello. She walked to the opposite side of the bed, and that's when she saw what Jasmine had seen. It wasn't vomit. It was blood and brain matter. Jeanette wasn't sick. She was dead. By 4 p.m., Akron detectives were at the Wildwood crime scene, and they soon came to a stunning realization. Jeanette Barty wasn't the only person from that house to be killed that day. From Ohio Mysteries, the Akron Beacon Journal, and BeaconJournal.com, this is Unresolved, a look at the unsolved murders and disappearances from the greater Akron area. I'm Stephanie Warsmith, a reporter from the Akron Beacon Journal, and helping with this ongoing series, which is covered in this podcast as well as stories in print and online, are Ohio Mysteries co-host Paula Schleiss and Steve Yoder. My, how times have changed, Steve. I used to get up in the morning and go to the front door and grab my daily paper. Now, I wake up and grab my phone. When I see that little number over the email icon, I know my paper has arrived. The Akron Beacon Journal, digital style. Oh yeah, me too. I gotta have my paper. I love how the digital version looks just like the print edition. I can flip the pages on my phone and know when I'm done. I don't have to wonder if I'm missing anything. I also love that I'm supporting local journalism. You know, as citizens, we can't be everywhere. We need skilled and trained reporters telling our community's stories 
and looking out for us. And right now, did you know you can get the Akron Beacon Journal delivered to your email every single day for the next six months for a buck? Wait, wait, one dollar? That is crazy. What's crazy is not doing it. And look, if you're not in the Akron area, subscribe to your own hometown paper. A free press is so important to a democracy. We can't lose our watchdogs. Right. Just Google Akron Beacon Journal or your hometown paper, toss in the word subscription, and I'm sure your browser will do the rest and take you right where you need to be. Now, Unresolved, Episode 5, Jeanette Barty and Roy Addison. Jeanette, she was uh, she was a free spirit. She loved to live outside the box. She loved drawing. She can look at you and draw your picture like dead spot on you. She was a great artist. She loved music. She loved cooking. She loved her kids. She loved to have fun. That's Bernadette Barty recalling her older sister and the traits she admired. They were close, just a year apart in age. Bernadette's 49. Jeanette would have been 50 this year. But loving someone doesn't mean you have to be blind to their flaws. And Jeanette was flawed. She was just all around a good girl. But the street sometimes catches us. Unfortunately, she, she was doing drugs. Sometimes I think that's what led to her crime. Jeanette had three daughters. The oldest was Betty. She was 14. Charnette the middle child was 12. Jasmine was the youngest. It was hard for her to get pregnant, and when she did, it was the love of her life. Living with Jeanette and her three daughters was Jeanette's boyfriend. Roy Addison was 39. Jeanette's brother had introduced the two on the phone, and they met and hit it off. They'd been dating for four years, first staying in an apartment on Miller Street, then at Roy's mom's house in Twinsburg. Then Jeanette had found the Wildwood address near her parents. The house was divided into two apartments, upper and lower. Jeanette's family lived in the bottom half. They'd been there less than three months. It may have been a new home for them, but this was a familiar landscape. She and her three siblings, Florence, Albert, and Bernadette, grew up on Wildwood. Her mom, Big Angel, and her dad, Robert, moved there a couple of decades earlier when she was still in elementary school. It was good to be back, just a couple of houses from her parents. Jeanette, a single mom with three kids and her occasional struggle with drugs, needed to be near her family, especially now. Her relationship with Roy was far from healthy. Roy had a criminal record and was always in trouble, always in debt, always at odds with the wrong people. And Jeanette had had enough. Roy was stealing things from the house to pay the men he owed. He was even suspected of robbing banks to get the money he needed. The night before Jeanette's death, the pair had a fight, and she ordered him out of the house.
The morning of April 12th, shortly before 7 a.m., Akron police were called to the 900 block of Boffman Street in West Akron, a couple of blocks from Wildwood. There was a man lying on the sidewalk with a gunshot to the back of his head. He was taken to Akron General Medical Center where he was pronounced dead. He had no ID on him, so the first order of business for police was to figure out who he was. They began a door-to-door canvas carrying a photo of the man they'd found. A couple of neighbors said they saw the man running from two short black males before he was shot. But they couldn't describe the men better than that, and nobody knew the victim's name. Police were still interviewing people about their John Doe that afternoon when Jasmine Barty arrived home from school. Bernadette shared the story that Big Angel and her nieces told her about that day. That morning, the girls were preparing for school in their bedrooms when they thought they heard a car backfire. The sound startled Charnette, who crawled beneath the covers at the sound. They finished dressing and said goodbye to their mother as they left the house. Betty went off to Bookdale High School. Charnette and Jasmine walked toward Rankin Elementary. As they strolled along Peckham Street, they heard a gunshot. They hurried to school. That afternoon, Jasmine was the first of the three girls to return home. Her mom wasn't in the kitchen, as she'd come to expect, so she tried her mom's bedroom. She said she went in there, and she said her mom was still in there, so she said, Mom, Mom, I'm hungry. Uh, what you cooking? She said she didn't respond to her, so she said, Mom, Mom, and she said she walked over, and she said she seen, like, throw up on her mom. So that's when she left out, and she went to come get my mom. Big Angel returned to the house with Jasmine. She called out for Nikki, the name she used for Jeanette, as she made her way to the bedroom. When she got in there, she said she she seen her laying in the bed. She said she kicked her feet. She said her body just shook like jello. She was like, Nikki, get up. What is wrong with you? Why you keep laying here? Come on, get on up. She said she never moved. She never said nothing. She never moved. She said that's when she started walking up to her. She said she seen the blood splatter on her head and on the wall. As Akron detectives arrived at the Wildwood house, other investigators were dealing with the Boffman Street homicide and not having much luck. Nobody was recognizing the photo of the man who had been shot. That is, until they showed the photo to Jeanette's brother, Albert. Albert was already looking for Roy. He was certain that in some way, shape, or form, directly or indirectly, Roy was responsible for Jeanette's death. And then he saw the photo of the dead man. That's Roy, he told the officer. That was the moment investigators realized they had a double homicide on their hands. That whatever had happened, it was exceedingly likely that Roy's lonely death on a Boffman Street sidewalk and Jeanette's brutal murder in her Wildwood bedroom were connected. Police found Roy's mom in Twinsburg and learned she may have been the last person to see him alive. Roy had called her during the night, saying he needed money, fast. She gave him what she had, maybe 20 or 30 bucks. He had a man in the car with him when he picked the money up, and they drove off. It must have been 3 or 4 in the morning, she said. By 7 a.m., Roy was dead. At the time of the murders, Bernadette was living in Atlanta, Georgia. She still remembers the panicked phone call she got that morning. I hear my sister saying, you got to come home. And I'm like, no, I don't. She was like, yes, you do. And she didn't want to tell me over the phone. Then she just said, 
Nigga, you were dead. Uh, I just dropped the phone and just burst out crying like, what the, and this plays in the back of my mind every day, like, what about my nieces? How are they? And my mom called me. She like, you got to come home right now. I didn't hear the frustration in my mom. Like, where's my kid at? I done lost my child. I need all my kids with me. I need them. And I got here as soon as I could. And it was, that was the hardest thing to see. My mom with that blank stare that I couldn't fix. When Jeanette's body was released, her family laid her to rest at Glendale Cemetery. The funeral home had to reconstruct her face. That that was the hardest thing because, you know, we were told not to wear makeup. You were already beautiful. Your, your face is you. And for somebody to strip that beauty out of you, and just it's, that's just hurt. They was like, we're gonna have, y'all can have a closed cast. My mom said, no, no, you don't, you, she's gonna be seen. I'm gonna look at my child and bury my child. By August of that year, Bernadette had moved back to the Akron area. Her mom needed her. I can't let my mom fight this battle because this is, this is all our battles. That's my sister, that's her daughter. I gotta help my mom. Jeanette's kids needed her too. The girls were either in or on the cusp of their teenage years, a tough parenting period in the best of times. Losing their mother had sent them all adrift. Went into their own little place and it was rebellions. I ain't got to listen to nobody. I ain't got to do this. I'm gone. Running the streets. You want to run, you want to you live your life. You 12 and... 13 and you can't do that. Y'all gotta get your life together. Y'all gotta graduate, y'all gotta go to school. Y'all can't keep doing this. Incredibly, six months after Jeanette's murder, Bernadette had to watch her own kids go through the same thing. Their father was murdered, shot dead in the street in the same neighborhood. The entire family was going to counselors, trying to work through their pain, and all the time waiting for justice. A year after losing Jeanette, Big Angel was still calling police once a week, asking for updates on the case. I'm not going to give up hope, she told a reporter in 2003. I know it's going to be solved. Everything that happens in the dark comes to the light. It's beginning to be that time where everything should be coming to the light. Big Angel believed there were witnesses, but they likely were keeping quiet out of fear for their own lives. She understood, even though she prayed they would find the strength to come forward. This is our community, Big Angel said. If we let strangers come in here and take our loved ones away and just sit back and watch them tear our neighborhood down, then we're no better than them. We've got to start standing up. About a decade after the murder of Jeanette and Roy, Bernadette found herself having an unexpected conversation with a family friend. They were watching a basketball game at her house when he nonchalantly asked her if she ever learned what happened to her sister. When she said no, he said he did. He named the killer and said the man told him about what led up to the murders. He said that him and Roy got into it in the kitchen about some money and some dope. 
and it was somebody else. He said he would never tell me who the other person was. And then he was like, Big Jimmy had something to do with it. And I'm like, okay, go ahead, keep telling me. He was like, they was in the kitchen. They was arguing. Roy jumped out the window. He ran. He ran down Pecco. The family friend told Bernadette the man told him he was having nightmares about how Jeanette looked when he left her that morning, dead in her bed. The man described details about the crime scene never made public before. Bernadette passed the information on to detectives. Unfortunately, the man named as the killer had died sometime around 2010, and the other man fingered as his accomplice, Big Jimmy, had died a year before that. Bernadette said despite the convincing account, she knows the police are missing the hard evidence they need to tie it all together. And she can't help but be frustrated that people who may have that evidence won't give it up. I'm still putting pieces together after so many years. Well, speculation only put a person's name involved. We got to have hardcore evidence to say he was at this scene of this crime. He was there. They said it was a young girl that lived on Walkman that seen the whole incident. And her grandma told her, don't say nothing at all. So and that left to where, who can you talk to? Who, who can you really trust around here? I lost a lot of respect and a lot of trust from people because this happened in broad daylight. This wasn't something that happened at nighttime. This was broad daylight. Everybody getting up, going to work, or doing something in the morning. Angeline Barty, Big Angel, died last December. Bernadette lost her other sister, Florence, back in 2015. Now she carries the torch for her family, visiting the grave sites staying in touch with detectives, praying for a resolution. We still trying to figure it out. It's, it's, it's speculations, but I, I want to make sure speculations is the truth. The truth is the truth. A lie is a lie. I just need to know and prove what was the truth about my sister. That's what I want to do. I want to make sure her kids get some justice and my mom, she can say, well done, daughter, you, you solved the puzzle. There's someone else desperate to solve this puzzle who can't let this case go. Akron Police Detective James Vesilich. He was one of the original investigators and grew close to the family. He still remembers those weekly calls from Big Angel. Vesilich cracks the file open from time to time and waits for someone to call with that all-important clue. Oh, there's no DNA. It's not a fight. It's not a, a robber. You're not going through pockets or, um, you know, yanking something off his neck or anything like that. Same way with Jeanette. It looks like Jeanette was uh, either asleep in bed or at least was in bed and was probably startled at who came through because she never gets out of the bed, doesn't appear, um, and is shot in the head too. Okay. So DNA-wise, you know, again, no video, no... Um, no DNA, nothing relevant with the phone calls or anything like that. He thinks Roy was the target, perhaps owing someone or something having to do with the recent bank robberies, and that after killing him, the killer or killers went back to Jeanette's home. Jeanette paid the price for knowing Roy. Jeanette's just collateral damage, you know, getting rid of witnesses or something along those lines. Uh, you know, whoever did it probably believed that she could either, like I said, either 
A, identify that person or actually uh, saw what was going on before. New information. But what makes this case one of the hardest in Pasilich's career is knowing what Jeanette was forced to leave behind. But to me, this is one of the hardest ones because of the girls. Um, and I think I was, you know, Charnette was 12. I can remember sitting back here in the juvenile uh, interview room back there with her. It's probably, uh, well, it's after 11 o'clock at night, you know, and, and Charnette's talking about, you know, what am I going to do? I'm 12 years old and my mom's dead and that's not supposed to happen. And I can remember, it's hard. I can remember, you know, thinking my kids are the same age. I had three kids. Um, and to think about what that kid, old enough to know, not an adult to say, hey, you know, it's part of life, grow up, you're 12 years old. How do you, what do you tell that kid? What do you tell them to do? Um, I can remember trying to figure out, I think we put them up in a hotel that night. So we had to collect money because we didn't have no money. Uh, victim assistance didn't have enough money to put up the hotel. I remember going, we had to go get snacks. We put up the hotel out at Montrose. Um, and we made, they wanted to make sure there was a pool so the kids could swim. But, you know, it's, that part's hard. It lifts his heart to know Jeanette's girls turned out well. Betty is a registered nurse. Jasmine, a home health aide. Charnette works at a hardware store. They're all mothers. Bernadette's heart swells at how they all managed to graduate and pursue careers, even as her heart aches that her sister isn't around to see it. We celebrate her birthday, we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate holidays, we go to the cemetery all the time. I say about four years ago I stopped crying when I went to the cemetery. Like literally, like, stop crying. Because I, I can't keep mourning them. I keep mourning them. I'm just keeping myself in a dark place. If you have any information that could help with this case, please call Detective Jim Pasilich of the Akron Police Department at 330-375-2490. That's it for this month's edition of Unresolved a collaborative podcast between Ohio Mysteries and the Akron Beacon Journal.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.